Wolfing Down Food Science. Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great summer. We are here with the top 10 Wolfing Down Food Science episodes. So you can binge watch while you're getting your tan on the beach or not. <laughs> um, all of these top episodes and uh, we hope that you really enjoy them. Yeah, summer's the season to get outside and enjoy the weather and the sun. Um, so we hope that you will take us with you wherever you're going, whether it's the beach or a hike in the forest, whatever you're doing and enjoying. Um, Make, make sure that we're there with you. We'll have an episode every single week this summer, and then we'll be back after Labor Day. Happy listening. So I I was making my lunch earlier today before we, we met up for our podcast, and my tomato was completely molded and mushy and grossed out. As horrific as it was, it got me thinking to all the talk about preservation that we had and how could I have made this tomato last longer because that was my my consumer money just going out the window. My student consumer money, so it's even more precious. Um, I was just wanting to talk about a second, how do microbes get onto foods? And it just seems to me like they just got on the tomato magically and then started multiplying by the second if I left it there for even longer. So can you guys talk to me more about where do they come from? Do they walk over onto the tomato and just sit down there? <laughs> I love that because that's in my mind when I was younger and my mom used to tell me to wash my hands. I always had this image of these germs that were like big enough, you know, like an inch long, but invisible and you just couldn't see them, but they were yeah. everywhere. So <laughs> I love that. Um, but I think they are everywhere. They're in the dirt, they're in the air, and in the case of mold and yeast, or mold in particular, there's spores that float around in the air, and they just have to have the right environment to thrive, to grow, and all over you. <laughs> Hopefully not mold, but maybe bacteria. <laughs> um, so the microbes, they're everywhere, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's that's really one of the important things is we we think we think about say washing our hands as a means of of cleaning them we think about you know washing various things you go to the car wash or whatever and something's clean in reality you know in the world we live in unless you have a situation where something is packaged and actively sterilized materials are just coated with microbes of various types. And so anything, if it's fresh produce, anything that's come out of the garden just has many different types of microbes that are present on it. And it may also have uh, larger uh, critters on it as well. So if you look at FDA's uh, defect action levels, it's always really an exciting thing to do with the class because for plant-based <laughs> products, it's it's a list of all the maximum levels of materials that you can typically see that you would find on foods. And if you go above that maximum, you can't sell it. But below that, 
then you can sell things like peanut butter that has a certain amount of insect parts because it's unavoidable. And you can sell chocolate that has a certain amount of insect parts, or you can sell leafy greens that have a certain amount of insect larva or eggs on them. All these things are very hard to avoid in the food supply. And it's just kind of an indication that there are many much smaller things, mold spores and bacteria, as Paige pointed out, viruses, which are tiny in comparison to to bacteria, are everywhere. And so these things really coat our foods. And one of the one of the things on on surfaces that that are say exposed, like you know, if we wanted to, to compare, say, uh, a steak or a chicken breast, which has been inside the body of an animal, right, to something like a uh, leafy green or a piece of fruit, the fruit has been exposed to the to the environment, and typically it, it's going to have some sort of a biofilm, meaning it's not just going to have uh, it's not just going to have one type of microbe; it'll have many, and they're typically kind of stuck in this in this uh, film that was produced by other microbes. And so that's typically what's on these materials as opposed to what you would find on, uh, on say, a banana that you peeled, right? You wouldn't expect to find it there or on a piece of, uh, a piece of meat or something that's been, that's been cut open. So you wouldn't expect to find those. But these microbes are just absolutely everywhere in the environment. So we don't have to look. And often we can see these microbes if you go to a vineyard and you look at grapes, they often appear kind of frosty with this whitish material. It's yeast, and it's just waiting for a break in that grape. And once that happens, it's, it's I think we mentioned this in the fermentation episode, once that happens, they're just going to start taking advantage of the fuel that's there. So we literally are swimming in a sea of these invisible microbes all the time. Wow, that's crazy to think about. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. It just depends on what you get where and if they have the right environment to grow. So a lot of preservation is about making sure the environment is not right or that they're not there. (laughs) Yeah, and with certain things, you want to you want to make sure that that we've eliminated the, the pathogens or prevented them from from getting onto the food. So if you want to take the case of things that are grown outside, vegetables and fruits and things of this nature, so you have this ubiquitous set of microbes that are in the environment that are going to be on the fruit, but you also have other things like animals, uh, could be insects, could be birds, other things that are going to leave their droppings on these fruits and vegetables. And that's another very concentrated source of microbes that came from the digestive tract of these of these uh, animals, and often that's where we'll find uh, sources of pathogens. So birds, for instance, are uh, good sources of particular sets of pathogens. Since we're, you know, in the case of this episode, we're 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 getting close to uh, to Thanksgiving, at least when we're recording it. Birds are residents for certain types of pathogens. And so that's that's another source that's very concentrated that is going to be there in on some foods and maybe not on the other. It lands on one lettuce leaf and it doesn't land on the other lettuce leaf. 
so that's another thing to, to think about. Um, and then on the inside, if you want to think about it that way, when, we, when we're talking about um, hamburger or meat products, if the, if the, the microbes that were in the intestine of an of a animal come into contact with the meat that we're going to eat, there's another source. So you can think of all these ways in which microbes find their way into or onto our food. And, you know, then the question is, are those potentially harmful for us? That's that's certainly what we want to avoid. But then it's is it going to spoil the food? That's another question. It might not really be harmful uh, per se, but I can guarantee you that if you've ever tried milk that's gone far past its pasteurization date, you're going to be really sorry. You might not get sick, but it's really, really, really unpleasant in terms of its aroma and this chunky texture that it gets. It's it's not good. Because the micros have just gone to town in there and they just overcame the product itself, multiplying so much so that it's now either toxic or just um, not pleasant for us. Right. Well, I mean, you can kind of have several levels. Obviously, we want to avoid the food poisoning events that would occur if we ate uh, microbes that were considered pathogens or could cause harm or toxins that they produce that could cause us harm. So that's sort of the top level. We want to prevent that. And then we also want to prevent these spoilage events that would make the food so either, either disgusting looking or, or disgusting smelling or tasting that we wouldn't want to consume it. So that's another level of, you know, basically preservation gone wrong. And then and then the, the last part is we might expect a food to perform in a certain way, like popcorn is supposed to be crunchy and, you know, grapes are supposed to have a certain amount of kind of um, kind of uh, plumpness to them that they're going to lose if, if they're dried out. So even physical changes in the absence of any microbial concerns can make us say, oh, I don't really want really to eat that because it's not what I expected in this particular food. So there's several different levels in which we want to preserve whatever that food is in this one state that for us is like, oh, that's that's ideal for a grape or a chocolate bar or a popcorn, you know, kernel or whatever that thing happens to be. So I think the the other aspect of that microbial growth is the cross-contamination aspect that you were talking about, Keith, from, say, an animal to a plant. Um, and what comes to mind for me with that is all of the romaine lettuce recalls that we've been having, and they seem to be happening seasonally um, in relation to that. So um, that was, gosh, tw 2018 was the first one, I think, was a recall of all romaine lettuce, and it was right before Christmas. So it was any party you went to that had a romaine lettuce salad, like people were not touching it. because. <laughs> The FDA had re recommended to pull all of that romaine lettuce because it could have had E. coli on it, which is a fecal contaminant um, pathogen. And so I think they narrowed it down to the fact that there was a high density cattle farm um, near that romaine field. And so the runoff from the waste stream after a heavy rain for the cattle farm is what contaminated the romaine lettuce and then because it's not cooked you don't get a heat treatment in there 
then people were getting sick because of uh, the E. coli cross-contamination from the cattle. But they're still, I think they're still researching why this happened again last year in 2019 around the same time frame. Um, and so now they're trying to figure out is there seasonality to it and what's causing that. So super, super interesting how these things go. That It, it, it definitely is dependent on the environment. Yeah, I knew that most of that lettuce was coming from Yuma, Arizona. And so I was just wondering what animals were going to be present in that environment in Arizona that would potentially cause... Is that the first one or the second one? Uh, I think there's there's been more than one uh, 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 in terms of uh, in terms of events that have that have occurred related to this uh, this Yuma crop because I think that's really where where this romaine lettuce comes from in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I thought the first one was in California. That's interesting that you can't just wash it very well so that the the bacteria or the virus or can just wash away. I remember in our last conversation um, when we were talking about heating and how you can have a pot on and just dump everything in the pot and just heat it up to kill all the bacteria and that would be good enough. But now we don't do that that much. Um, I rely on if I'm not going to cook my food, I'll wash my vegetables extensively, or at least I don't even know. Like, there's no soap that you can use for vegetables, or maybe there is. There have been some attempts made huh. at making soaps that are effective at basically doing what we would do with our hands, you know, to try to eliminate uh, pathogens from our hands. But skins of fruits or sort of the this irregular structure of a lettuce leaf makes it really hard to remove materials that are present. And so um, things like uh, cantaloupe, for instance, have this very rough sort of mesh-like texture on the outside. Good luck, you know, washing this thoroughly and getting all the materials off and, you know, realizing we're dealing with microscopic bacteria and depending on the pathogen, you need very few of them to make you sick. Uh, this this is really where uh, washing, I suppose, has its limits. And what's interesting here to me is that you can go to the to the grocery store and see this package of uh, of mixed uh, vegetables individually quick frozen so we've, we've talked about this idea of iqf where you you flash freeze individual pieces and then you can put them all together in a bag and they will come apart easily because they're they're frozen individually so you can look at these vegetables and if you turn it around on the back of the package it will say something like cook to 160 fahrenheit so if you do the same thing uh, go to the, the frozen section and look at blueberries and strawberries and these other berries and turn it around. It doesn't say that. And that's always this is always the part since I'm really not a food safety um, food safety expert. This is the part where I always ask the food safety experts, should we be cooking our frozen blueberries and strawberries <laughs> to 160 Fahrenheit, just like the broccoli that's sitting beside it? Um, and so 
the answer is always, mm, well, probably. Um, but, you know, you may not want to eat it as a pie, you know, or, or make jam out of it. You may want to. Yeah, you may want to eat it as a smoothie or maybe, you know, um, just thaw it out and, and eat them that way. So it's just interesting how that we've taken different foods and different levels of concern i guess or, or or risk or expressed on that package um for for different types of foods so we may get some messages here some some uh, feedback from our our food safety colleagues about <laughs> about these statements but but it's just interesting to me when i see that in the in the frozen food section and and of course this is not to mention that the fresh vegetables that come from all over the world uh you know we have uh we have raspberries and blueberries in our refrigerator right now and it's not raspberry or blueberry season here in north carolina so they they certainly came from elsewhere and they're fresh um for a very short period of time especially the raspberries they last a very brief period of time because uh chemically physically and also microbiologically, they're very unstable. Um, so they they have maybe a, maybe a week <laughs> at the out at the outside in terms of their uh, ability to be preserved in that fresh state. Do we still have an issue in in this day of pathogens from other countries or other um, areas coming to us in our food trade? Like in our strawberries or in our blueberries. Yeah, there was just a case um, about norovirus, a norovirus outbreak in um, in Canada with associated with raspberries that were from China. And then the back door happened there that they were the raspberries were imported to I think it was Chile and a Chilean distributor there repackaged them as organic and then sent them to Canada. So it was not only um, adulteration with norovirus, but it was also misbranding or mislabeling of a product that, that as organic when it was not. So, so yeah, that definitely still happens. Oh, and there's yeah. definitely laws in place to, to try to prevent that. Yeah. Well, this, this is probably a good time to mention some really feel-good material that's out there that every week you can check this out. One is, um, one is uh, a, a blog by our colleague, Ben Chapman, um, Barf Blog is what it's called. And so this food safety blog, which really regularly updates you on what's happened in the food safety world and the latest um, outbreaks, things that have, that have happened. The other one, if, if you're really, really interested in this kind of stuff is called, wait for it, Morbidity and Mortality Weekly. <laughs> uh, there's a publication which talks about what is either hurting or killing people every week. And often there is a food safety component to that Morbidity and Mortality Weekly report. So if you want to feel really, really happy, then <laughs> here's a publication that will definitely cheer you up. Morbidity Mortality Weekly. I'll go look for all the foods that I ate just yesterday to see if there are any on there. 
That's funny. It's a real thing. Well, on that note, I think we can wrap up this conversation topic. Today, we answer the question of where do microbes come from? Even though we can't always see them, they sure are everywhere. That's really important for us to keep in mind as we prep food and also as we try to protect ourselves from those oh-so-endearing microbes. Everyone, be sure to wash your hands and keep an eye out for the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Journal. Be well. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our new podcast, Wolfing Down Food Science, please check out our website where you can find our show notes, reference links, and more. You can find out more about NC State, our food, bioprocessing, and nutrition science department, and FS201, the amazing course that has brought us all together, on our website as well. Thanks for tuning in to Wolfing Down Food Science. See you next time.